What's up, everybody? This is Jake with the Two Worlds Podcast, and with me is the Bucky to my cap, Casey Morris. Hey, buddy, how's it going? It's going good, man. I'm glad that I get to be Bucky because that means, you know, I'm going to die sometime, and then 50 years from now, you're going to be going around, and there's going to be like a really cooler version of Bucky or me killing people, and you're like, that couldn't be him. I saw him die, and then, spoiler alert, it is me. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly why I said it. <laughs> <laughs> you're, pl- you're playing the long I game. I like it. <laughs> All right, let's get into our socials. You can find us at facebook.com slash two worlds podcast on Twitter at two underscore worlds underscore podcast and on Instagram at two worlds pod. You can email us at two worlds podcast at gmail.com. And please like and review us five stars wherever you're listening to this. And we will get right into some news. Casey, what do you have for me? Okay, so last week we had talked about how Batwoman, uh, Ruby Rose wasn't going to be a part of it anymore and all that stuff. Well, it's also apparently like they're not going to recast Kate Kane. According to a rumored casting call, they've got, they're going to get this character uh, person called Ryan Wilder an out lesbian and she's like the casting thing is like she can be any race it doesn't matter and basically she's gonna be more bubbly and more fun and nothing like Kate Kane and I I just don't think that makes any sense just when I think about it because it's like the whole point of this show I don't think I don't know if it's how it is in the comics because I just don't read Batwoman never was able to but she's related to Bruce Wayne in the show and she finds the stuff. And then it's like, is this Ryan Wilder going to be related to Bruce Wayne too somehow? And then find the stuff and then decide, well, I'm going to be the new Batwoman cause Ruby left. I don't know. I mean, I guess the other option would be this Ryan Wilder, just starts dressing like Batgirl and someone's like, well, there she's worthy. So I guess she can do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's just, I don't know. I don't think that's the, it's just the best way to go. Like at, at the very least recast Kate for like a three episode stint and then have her hand the mantle over. Cause if you just do another person finding the bat cave and then just being like, well, I'm going to be Batwoman now. And then just, you know, kind of just decide that from there. It's just like, can anyone do this? Like if this actress gets tired and then another one comes in, they're like, well, this person's now going to be called Chris Michelson. And they're going to, they're even wackier. And they're going to come in and be the new Batwoman. But like, how, when are we going to stop? Just recast the dang person. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, everything I've heard about this show from the very beginning has sounded like a total train wreck, so I'd be shocked if it made it past this next season, honestly, or even if it it got a full order, I'd be kind of surprised. Yeah, I did hear one thing. I didn't write it down because I I know nothing's going to happen from it, but there's this one wrestler, I think it's Sonya Deville. I haven't watched wrestling in forever. But she is, if it's Sonya, I think she's a lesbian, like the first out lesbian wrestler in WWE. And her manager, like in real life, is like, 
I want her to be in the Batwoman show, which it's like, I don't know her personality, but she's supposed to be like, every time I've seen her, she's like the quiet, tough lady. So it's like, don't know how well she would play the bubbly girl. You know, maybe <laughs> she could have maybe been Kate Kane, but don't know about the quirky, bubbly one. Right. I mean, if they're going to do a quirky, bubbly one, it should just be Batgirl. Yeah, exactly. That would make more sense, but I don't. I, I think they just kind of got blind. They must have been blindsided by this, and they're just trying to come up with you know anything. They're just tossing stuff at the walls and seeing what sticks. At this yeah, point. that's fair. Oh well. Uh, why don't you do another one? You've got more than me. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this kind of goes along with it in a way because it's about DC. AT and T and Warner Media are actually wanting a HBO Cyborg. HBO Max series and like if he actually gets a personality in the you know Zack Snyder cut of Justice League I would be so down for that because like that he was the one disappointment or one of the many disappointments I had in the Justice League movie because he like excuse me they had such a character that had such a personality in Teen Titans and that's what every like 90% of people knew this character from and they just did not like they just like when they did their rewrites i'm assuming it was the rewrites they just forgot about cyborg like he has maybe a page of lines it seems like in it so if they actually give him a personality make him fun make him cool an hbo max series would be awesome i agree um (laughs) the one the one thing that sticks out about cyborg in the justice league movie is just how like how bland he delivered cyborg's line, which is booyah. You know what I mean? Like it, it was almost laughably yeah. bad. And well, like the, the thing though is the, in my opinion, and this could be wrong cause I don't know acting, but that like, that should have been on the director to be like, Oh no, give us a little more than said it just calmly saying booyah. Right. <laughs> It's like, watch one episode of any of the Teen Titans, even Teen Titans Go. Just watch one episode and then say it. Similar to that. But now, like, in that, they're like, yeah, that's good. Fine. Keep, let's keep rolling. Now, I know they won't do this, but I kind of wish that they would use the Doom Patrol cyborg if they're going to use one, just because I like him in that show a lot. Yeah. Same here. Like, that that cyborg was more what I wanted in the justice league. Movie. Yeah. I don't know. Like I, they're, then, they're just really, really trying to push cyborg. And man, I just, he just doesn't, I, I think he's best with the Titans when he's not with the Titans. We get what we got with justice league. And I, th- I think he's fine in do patrol yeah. for sure. Like it, it's proven he, he can be outside the Titans, but I think he's best with the Titans. Yeah, I mean, he kind of has the, uh, I'm going to say, like, the Martian Manhunter curse going. Like, the way he's written in the comics anyway, a lot of times because he doesn't have much personality, especially now. So it's just kind of like, he works best in a team. And I hope that's not how it is in this. Like, I hope he can get that, you know, like I said, get more of a personality and then actually have more going on other than just being like, look what you did to me, Dad. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right i agree and then also though on this at&t wanting stuff note 
they there's a rumor going around that they're trying to get Ben Affleck, Jared Leto, and Joel Maganello all together for the Ben Affleck Batman movie. It's just a rumor, and I don't think it's going to happen at all because, like, Ben Affleck was saying people that saw his script were like, dude, if you do this movie, you'll end up drinking yourself to death. So I don't think he's going to actually do this, but I want to see more Joel Maganello as Deathstroke, so I will take Jared Leto as the Joker for more Joel Maganello. You know, I'm not willing to make that sacrifice. (laughs) I just, I'd rather see Joe, you know, pop up as Deathstroke in uh, Robert Pattinson's second Batman movie or something like that. Yeah. So people were talking about this online and I thought it was kind of an interesting idea. Like if they kept the Snyder verse as a thing and then they had like these other movie verses and stuff and they're like, well, what if in the uh, Robert Pattinson Batman universe, they had Val Zod as Superman, which was the Superman from earth Mm -hmm. Two. And that was like who Michael B. Jordan was wanting to play. And I'm like, that actually would be pretty, pretty cool if we could keep Henry Cavill and then have Michael B. Jordan and just have one time where those two are both Superman on the screen together. Yeah. Cause like, that's just a, that's a, I don't know if the TV could, the TV screen could take that much charisma, (laughs) but it would be fun to find out. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And I always enjoyed that character in the earth Two stuff that I read. I just don't know if they'd do it. See, I didn't, I don't know anything about them. I'll be honest. Cause like I kind of read, I think the first two issues of earth two, and then I just kind of dropped it. I heard it got better, but yeah, maybe a little bit. It, it wasn't the best of the new 52 though. <laughs> yeah. Um, Evan Peters reportedly has a role in WandaVision. He played Quicksilver in the Fox X-Men stuff. And, the rumor is it's going to introduce the multiverse. So he might be playing Quicksilver again, you know, and that, that could be really exciting. Like if we get him, Mag, uh, Magneto, I bling on the guy's name that played Michael him, Fassbender. And yeah, Fassbender. If we get those two, I think that's really all we need from the, from that, you know, <laughs> Fox Marvel stuff. Just bring those guys in. And then reintroduce everyone else in a different way. I I would be fine with that. Yeah, me too. I loved both of them. Um, just please, please, no more Jennifer Lawrence as Mystique. <laughs> I, I can't take any yeah. more of that. <laughs> I, I'll be honest, though. I think Jennifer Lawrence is saying the same thing as you. Because yeah. if you like when I watched uh, Apocalypse, I was just like, it's clear she doesn't want to be here at all. Right. <laughs> well. I don't know. It would be, it'd be wild. I liked, uh, what's his name? Something. Is it Taylor? Something Taylor, Aaron Taylor Johnson or something like that who played. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I liked him in Ultron and thought he was pretty cool, but I mean, Evan Peters was obviously the way more fun Quicksilver. So that'd be cool. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. So like, the biggest news of the week in the comic book industry. DC has fully pulled out of diamond distribution. Um, and nobody really saw that coming. They all just thought they were going to do the multi distribution thing, but 
Uh, they said, no, no more diamond. So after the cutoff date of like, I think it's this next week, um, no more buying DC books from diamond. I, you know, that's pretty, exciting. yeah, it, it is. I mean, I'm sure the people that were holding out and only wanted to do a one-stop shop probably aren't thrilled, but I mean, I got to say from experience the last few weeks that, uh, lunar, which is one of the, the two new ones that DC is using, um, they're doing everything right so far. So to all the other comic shop owners that are listening to this right now, it's going to be okay. But yeah. And like it kind of, it kind of showed during the coronavirus, like you need these other people, you know, these other people to be able to deliver comics. Cause without when diamond just was like, Oh, well tough luck. These businesses, you know, you, I don't really have to tell you this, but like these businesses were having a lot of trouble trying to stay open because Diamond just didn't want to ship stuff. Yeah, one hundred percent. And so, like, now that they now that there's this other one, maybe just maybe some, you know, Marvel will try to go to someplace else too, just to kind of keep things, you know safe for the future. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because there is a rumor going (laughs) around that Disney might, um, buy diamond. And I don't know if that's good or bad. It, if the rumor is true, it would kind of make sense as to why Marvel had been just so quiet about all of this stuff. Like we really haven't heard much of a peep out of them at all since, the whole pandemic started and maybe it's because they're going to buy them. And maybe that's why DC jumped ship. I mean, it would make sense. I just don't know if it's true. Yeah. And I mean, I would have a worry that they'd either get the people that, you know, they forced to dress up like Mickey and goofy putting the stuff in the boxes or they just get, you know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> little kids in China to put the stuff in the boxes. Like either way, that doesn't sound good to me. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Like you'll, you'll start getting notes from diamond or they'll be like, please save us. They won't let us eat. <laughs> I don't know. The, uh, you know, one of the big getting back to reality here, one of the big issues with diamond <laughs> is that, um, you know, Mike and I had talked to, I don't know. He was just like an, an area. I don't even know if you'd call him manager. He was just a guy that went around, uh, to different stores just to like talk to shops about how, how their relationship with diamond was. So I guess he was some sort of traveling HR guy. Um, and I was always honest with him whenever I said how terrible they were, but he told us that all of their, warehouse workers are just temporary workers and they just straight up don't care about their job. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, if Disney buys them and, you know, they change that from temp workers to permanent workers, you know, pay them better, give them benefits, whatever it takes, maybe things will improve, but I mean, I'm not going to hold my breath. Yeah, I'd be surprised. I mean, 
It just it, the way it seems when Disney does buy stuff, like you know, does the takeover, they'll just be like, "Well, things are running smoothly, so keep doing what you're doing, guys." Right. But pay us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, there's a thing I saw on Twitter that I just thought was pretty neat. I thought I'd share. Uh, Gail Simone, she decided to donate, like put up for auction some things that she really cared about. And then like one was like a Wonder Woman omnibus. And then like there's a bunch of different things. And the coolest thing, this was her favorite thing was uh, the very last page of George Perez's uh, Wonder Woman run, like the very last page with, you know, that he had, you know, the original art. And so she was going to donate that and, you know, put up for auction. All the money was going to go towards different black Lives matter type charities. And so then when she decided, you know, she hashtagged it, uh, Comics Writers Challenge on Twitter. And so all these other comics writers were getting into it. Like Scott Snyder donated uh, original art that Greg Capullo made that was of uh, Plastic Man from Metal. And then, like, a bunch of different random ones. It was all really neat stuff. And then this one, I just, this caught my eye. It was hilarious to me. Uh, Tim Seeley donated, like, he was like, I don't really collect original art and so like the only thing I had was this Ethan Van Syver Cyber Frog early one. Like it was an early uh cover that you know he won in a contest. And so he put it up and like all the comments were like, Oh, I'll I'll donate a dollar or like does it come with the lighter fluid so I can burn it? Blah blah blah. <laughs> and then Ethan commented and he's like, Oh wow, that's so cool that you still have that. I'll do six hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, and then he was like, I went to his Twitter page after that, and he was just talking about. It. He's like, no, like I'll put up the money. Like I don't care. Like it's awesome. This is going to a good cause. He's like, I'm not gonna go crazy, you know, over it. But like, I can make the money back whenever I sell my next thing of Cyberfrog. I'll have that in there. It's not, you know, it's pretty cool. And so then, like, it actually ended up getting to a thousand dollars. I don't think he, I don't think he got ended up with it. But I was like, that's that was really cool. Like, I think it kind of showed that he had a little bit of class, even though he does things that's super jerky at times. That was a pretty cool thing on his part. Yeah, for sure. And then one that was, one thing that was really cool too, Gail tweeted this like a couple hours before we started recording, but Greg Hildebrandt, he did a Captain America painting. He actually contacted her and was like, can I donate something? And, so she's like, oh, my gosh, yes. Like he actually did the uh, Star Wars A New Hope poster painting. Yeah. And so he was like, oh, I want this to go to, like, Boys and Girls Club of America, I think. I could be wrong on that, so I might have to double-check that. But the opening bid was $4,000. He's like, I've only ever drawn Captain America, I think he said, like, four times in my life. And he's like, I, I wanted to make a really nice one. And, you know, he punched the biggest racists of all time, the Nazis in the face. So I just think, you know, a painting of him punching is about perfect for this cause. I'm like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> like, it, look at it. Look up the picture because, like, that's the only way we'll see it. And, yeah, it, it looks amazing. Uh, I mean, have you have you seen what it's gone up to yet? No, like it had she had just tweeted about it and it ends Friday. Oh, OK. Well, we'll have to to make a note and let everyone know what it ended at. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. 
Um, so do you like the guy that plays Elongated Man on The Flash? Um, I mean, I, I saw that first episode or two he was in and don't know if I ever watched him past that. All right. Well, you won't be too devastated, but Hartley Sawyer, he has been fired from The Flash show. He must have made somebody mad because people dug up tweets from eight years ago on him, said some sexist, racist, and just all around weird things. It was very much like, it was very similar to James Gunn. Not quite as bad, but, you know, it was enough to cause an outrage and CW fired him. I think that stuff's ridiculous. Like, it just it never makes any sense. Like, he must, he, like, because it's, like, at least with James Gunn, like, when he said something about the president, it made the right-wing people mad. But it's like, I mean, Trump talks crap about everybody. So, like, if someone's going to talk crap about him, like, I think Trump just needs to say crap back and leave it at that. Right. <laughs> they don't need to dig, dig through people's stuff. Like, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's pretty silly too. Even if what he said, um, you know, wasn't cool. It, it's still like his personal page or whatever. And it was eight years ago. Like, yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. It's whatever. People change, but yeah, I was, I, I was thinking today, how funny would it be if like every day on set, he just tries to fight Grant Gustin, but Grant is such a nice guy that he's like, no, don't fire him. He's just getting out of his anger. <laughs> and then like CW people are like, we have to look through his tweets to find some reason to fire. I'm like, I found something from eight years ago. <laughs> okay. We're going with that. <laughs> I mean, is he like, is he like a series regular now? Do you know? That's what it sounded like in the comments and stuff. It was sounding like he was a member of Team Flash. And like one person was like, that's good. We need less Team Flash and just more just the Flash. And I was like, yeah, that's that's fair. It is fair. But at the same time, that entire show has been Team Flash from the beginning. Yeah, that's true, too. Hmm. Well, something I'm not thrilled about. Marvel announced today that they're going to be putting out their free comic book day books. Um, they'll be putting those out in July on two different weeks. And it's just so why? frustrating. I don't know why it's, it's not good for any retailer for anybody that doesn't know free comic book day is the biggest financial day of the year for a comic book shop. Everybody comes in for the free books most people are cool enough to buy something while they're there because while those books are free for you, it is not free for the shops. But now to split it up, it's like, okay, well, one, it's not one big special day anymore. And two, a lot of people probably aren't going to make the two separate trips. And like for my shop, I always have like a handful of awesome artists there on that day to do commissions and like fun stuff like that. And now it's like, well, do I ask some to come on one day and some on the other or ask them all to come back? Like, I don't want to take up too much of their time. It's just all a big mess. And why not just wait and reschedule this thing like later this summer or even later this year, like in the fall? I don't understand why they're doing this now. It is very, very frustrating. 
For sure. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like, you'd think the whole point of Free Comic Book Day, it's to help the retailer. And, I mean, maybe their thought is, well, we'll have two days where we'll get everyone to come in on two days. So they'll make double the sales. But <laughs> That's, that's yeah, not going to happen. It doesn't... <laughs> doesn't doesn't add up to yeah. me. I don't know. I think 2020 in general has been just pretty difficult on shops across the nation and across the world and yeah. this is just not helping. But I don't think that uh that anybody at Marvel is listening to this or cares what I think. So we will move on. <laughs> You're, there's gonna be there's that one guy at Marvel now that's like taking off his headphones. He's like, well, I guess I'm not gonna listen anymore then. <laughs> Anywho, the last bit of news that I had, <laughs> I I don't know how to pronounce his name. I always call him Stepan Sedgik. Um, he is an incredible artist. He's worked at DC. Did the first two issues of Justice League Odyssey as well as the three part Harleen series for Black Label. He's an insanely good artist and easily has made his way into my tops, like all time artist list. He announced today on Twitter that he's leaving DC for strictly creator owned comics. He said that it was nothing against DC or anybody there. He just wants to spend the rest of his career having fun and making the stuff he wants to make, which is fine. All the power to him, and I'll definitely support the stuff that he puts out. But it is a little bit devastating because I love his DC work so much, and I just want to see him do more characters. But again, I don't think he's listening, and I don't think he cares what I have to say about it. It's just a little (laughs) bit of a bummer. But like I said, I'm still going to keep reading his stuff. It's all going to be digital stuff until it's collected. And then he said he would put out um, the collected editions through Top Cow, which is where he got his start in comics and has a good relationship with. So I guess whenever those Top Cow trades come out, I'll check them out. What would you do? And this is just one of those things that's going to make you not, you know, like question us being friends. But what would you do if Ken Penders, like he was just strictly working with him? <laughs> Like a revival for his Echidna series. Yeah. Yeah, he's just like, yeah, this is what I've wanted to do since I got my start in comics, and now that I've made a big enough name for myself, I can finally do this. (laughs) Well, one, I'd I'd ask where Ken's been hiding all these years, and two, I I would be obligated to buy it, because even if it's going to be, and it would be a total train wreck, it's going to be a gorgeous train wreck. (laughs) Fair enough, man. <laughs> all right. I think that's all we've got well, for the news. So we'll, uh, we'll take an ad break and we'll be right back. And we're back. Thank you for listening to our ads. And we'll get into the comics that we read this week. Casey, what all did you read? I didn't read a lot. I was, this sounds like an excuse because it is, but I was working a lot this week. So I only got... Uh, the Goon, number 10 red. Nailbiter Returns, number one. The Catwoman 80th Anniversary comic. Justice League Dark, 
2022 and Batman and Superman number nine. And then to celebrate Kaijun, I read the first six issues of Godzilla Complete Rulers of Earth. And that's not a lot? It felt like, because I wanted to read all of Godzilla's Godzilla Ruler of the Earth, and I have uh, some comicsology stuff that I bought that I, like, it's like three issues that I bought that I haven't got through yet. I see. So, yeah. I was bit lazy. Well, that's okay. I got through... There wasn't a lot of the new releases stuff that was for me personally this week, but I did read um, the Catwoman 80th anniversary special as well as two older issues of Robin numbers 157 and 158. And then I got the second trade paperback of Images Die. So I reread the first trade to get ready for that second trade. And those are what I read. Nice. All right. I'll save when I'm talking, I'll save the Catwoman for last so we can do a breakdown like we did with the Robin. If you're, uh, if you're feeling sassy enough for that, I, I am feeling sassy because I, well, we'll just save it. We'll save it. Okay. All right. So I'm going to start talking about the goon. Um, I'm going to pull it out so I can read the names cause I didn't write stuff down, but uh, it was written by Roger Langridge and illustrated by Mike Norton. The art in it kind of sick, you know, looks good. It, it looks like the goon and everything, but the writing is just like it. It just read. I think I said this once before, but it reads like uh, goon fan fiction. And like you know, when you read fan fiction, it's not like. Like, you know, even good fan fiction, it's always like, there's something off here. And that's how this is. I'm not feeling it. I've been giving it a try, but I'm probably going to drop this book. Because, like, even normally when I'm like, oh, like, I have to keep this going with a series because I want to know how it ends. I don't care how this ends. That's how I know it's. I'm fine with dropping <laughs> it. <laughs> but, so, yeah, it, just, it, yeah, it wasn't for me. Uh, but I've been really interested in reading uh, Nailbiter by Joshua Williamson because I'm just a big fan of his Flash and kind of everything he's written that I've read. So I, I picked up Nailbiter Returns mostly because you're like, it should be a good jumping on point. And for the most part, he does a really good job of like catching the people that have never read a Nailbiter book up. Like I still want to read the first series because there's a lot of stuff that they kind of hint at in here of what happened before. And it's like this is wild. Like it's got a lot, like it's all about these different killers and all this other crazy stuff. It's like, it's really cool. The art in it is by, I'm going to read his full name out. Cause gotta find it. It is by, I'm guessing Mike Henderson is his name because the way they do the, the name, the credits on it, they have first off a drink of the night, and it's called the Nailbiter Returns, and it's 16 ounces tomato juice, one tablespoon Worcestershire sauce, two tablespoons pickle juice, one cup vodka, two tablespoons lemon juice, one tablespoon prepared horseradish, one tablespoon Tabasco sauce, and kosher salt for the rim. And then they're like, at the bar, front bartender, Joshua Williamson, side bartender, Mike Henderson, lights, Adam Guzowski, D 
DJ, John J. Hill, host, Rebecca Taylor. So, I'm assuming he did the art, or he did something <laughs> well, else. Well, I can tell it, you Mike Henderson is an artist. Okay, well, thank you. Because, <laughs> yeah, the art in it is really great. Like, it's really interesting. It's about killers, so that's cool. Because, you know, I have a weird crime obsession. And so, yeah, it's all around just a really, really cool thing. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, then I'll talk about Justice League Dark, and then I'll let you talk, because I really like Batman Superman, so I'm going to talk about that for a good bit extra. This one is by... I'm going to find all their names written out more. Um, by Ram V, James Tynan IV, and pencils were by Alvaro Martinez Bueno and Amin K... Nahulapan. I apologize for more than likely butchering their names, but no, this was, it was really cool. You had like them fighting in the rot. And like in the last issue you had, um, animal man talking to like a thing that was inside him. And then, so he kind of took over. It was like kind of like a, a, almost like a tapeworm that was inside him. Not maybe not tapeworm, but it was some type of microscopic thing. And then that thing went to the parliament of bacteria that lives inside us and talks to it and convinces it to help with how all the fungus, the, you know, the fungus were affecting people. And so then that bacteria killed all the fungus. And I'm like, that's such a neat idea of having the parliament of bacteria as a thing. And yeah, so I thought that was, that really, really almost cool. sounds like a Grant then, Morrison type of thing that would be in his animal man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I can see that for sure. And so, yeah, it was, like I said, it was really cool. A uh, lot of fun. I'd highly recommend it, especially to you. Cause I thought you were kind of excited for that book, right? Or am I? No, I up? am. I'm just a few, I'm, I'm not quite caught up to current, so I couldn't read it yet. Okay. I got you. This one, like, I know you're not the biggest fan of the kid or like, he's not a kid, but the current Dr. Mm-hmm. Fate. But he does some stuff in that, and that's pretty neat. And is he re- okay? Off subject, but is he related to Kent? Because I thought I read that somewhere where he was like his nephew or something. Not to my knowledge. I think are you are you thinking oh, okay. of Kent V Nelson, like the third Doctor Fate? Oh, I don't know. Okay, I just know like. I read somewhere where like they were talking about the current one and I thought they said that he was related to the original. Oh, maybe he is. I I read his uh his new 52 series and his parents were just uh front like legit from Egypt and they moved to America, so I I don't know if there's any relation there or not. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Um Okay, all done with that one then? Yeah. Okay. So I read Robin 157 and 158. Those were written by Adam Beechin, and uh, the art was done by Fraser Irving. And I'll explain why I picked these up um, after I talk about 157. So Robin saves this cat from up in a tree. Um, and he takes it back to Wayne Manor and he asks Alfred if they can keep it. 
And Alfred, tell, Alfred tells him no, uh, that he has to take it to the shelter. And Robin's like, oh, fine. So he gets on his bike, and he's like his motorcycle bike. And as he's driving through the town, like something hits him and throws him off the motorcycle. And he has no idea what it is. But he goes to check on the cat inside the kennel, and the door is open and the cat's gone. And then he hears, like, this monstrous howl. And he follows it. And it's inside this, like, abandoned warehouse. And he finds the cat. And the cat's hissing. And Robin's like, what's the matter? Don't you remember I saved you from the tree? And then you see, like, this shadow thing behind Robin. And uh, the next panel shows this huge monster that is part, like, falcon, raccoon, dog, snake, squirrel, and turtle, which sounds like a lot, and it is, but it did look pretty neat. <laughs> and Robin's like, oh, so that's what's the matter. And Robin, like, tries to fight it as best as he can, but eventually the monster grabs him by the cape and kind of thrashes him around and uh, knocks him out and then uh, runs off. And then you hear or you read an off-panel uh, balloon that says, excuse me, I'm missing my cat. Have you seen him? He goes by the name Teekle, and it's Clarion the Witch Boy. And because the cover said guest starring Clarion, that's why I picked it up and read it. So anyway, it follows up in Robin 158, which I'll just go right into now. And Clarion tells Robin, uh, and it's Tim, by the way, Tim Drake, uh, Tim had never met Clarion, so he doesn't really know the backstory. So Clarion tells him that he's from Limbo Town and that he's up here because one of his Limbo Town brothers came up here with that monster. And essentially, all those animals that I read off to you a few minutes ago, um, they're all the, the different types of familiars that people from Limbo Town can have. So the final familiar being a cat and Clarion says that, um, that if his brother finds Clarion's cat and merges it with the monster, then, um, what's called a judgment beast will be created and will be able to destroy whatever it wants. So now Robin and Clarion are working together to try and stop that from happening. Um, and I don't know, basically there's some like magic stuff involved with Clarion, but they run into the monster who's like absorbing the cat and, uh, Clarion had given Robin some like herb, some sort of plant to, to use when the time was right to stop the, the process from happening. So Clarion and Robin together uh, stop the Judgment Beast from becoming a thing, thus saving the town. And Clarion takes his uh, his brother from Limbo Town back to Limbo Town. And, uh, you know, at the end, he just says, it's a big world, Tim. I hope you and I find each other in it again someday. And it ends. And it was just like a really neat two-part story uh involving magic and Robin, which are not two things that mix usually, but it was well-written. 
you know, uh, Adam Beechin does a good job portraying teenage Tim. There's like a lot of internal stuff about a girl he likes at school and stuff like that. You know, typical teenage boy stuff. And then Fraser Irving just knocks it out of the park with his artwork and doing like the Limbo Town stuff and all the magic. I was just a big fan of it. It was a cool two-parter. Nice. It's kind of funny that Clarion was like, oh, maybe we meet again or whatever. Because if I remember correctly, in Young Justice, he actually like turned all of the teenage superheroes into adults and all of the adult superheroes into kids. That does sound correct. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was Clarion or not because I remember like my brother had like all of the tie-ins to that. And like I remember Batman just made Tim be Batman and Batman was Robin then because he didn't want people to know that he had became a kid. <laughs> he had become right. a kid. Yeah, it was like the the alf the, the designs and stuff are pretty rad for that. Yeah. Something that I just thought that was kind of funny. I wonder if they made any sort of callback to this or well, I don't know. I guess the Young Justice would have been first, right? I don't know. When was I I don't know when either were done, honestly. Oh. This uh the Robins were done in 07. Then yeah, probably. That's weird mm-hmm. then. Oh well. It's not like anybody follows continuity anyways. <laughs> that's that's a fact. Okay. So Batman Superman is by Josh Williamson and uh Clayton Henry on art. And so you have the uh Atomic Skull running around like trying to get help and he's in Gotham. And like one thing that was really cool is look up the design that they have for the Batmobile. It's like they took the animated series design, but then added in like some of the old school designs where it's got like that little bat shield face thing that he had, yeah. you know, and they kind of, they kind of threw that on the front of it and made it look like a little, like a little different enough, but still like, like the original design, like the animated design that it looks so cool. But so he's like tongue skull scream around wanting help shooting at cops and stuff. And Batman's like, this doesn't make any sense. Atomic Skull was reformed. He's like, I shouldn't be surprised that, like, this guy's not, you know, that he kind of went back to being this way, you know, bad again and stuff. And so Batman's, like, fighting with them and stuff. And then all the cops have him cornered. They have their guns pulled on. And then Batman takes them out, takes out the cops. And it turns out they're not actual cops. They're, because, like, their uh, outfits were from before Bane took over the city. And he's like, the cops have new, you know, um, like new uniforms now, so I kn- that's how I knew. Plus, the way they were talking and moving, it seemed like they were like being controlled. And like, he takes off the mask, and they're all like a bunch of Frankenstein monster-looking guys. And you know, the Tonk Skull's like telling him, like, no, like you need to run. Like I have, I'm here to warn you, blah, blah blah. You know, and then he just blows up. And that's not a spoiler because on the cover it says who killed the Atomic Skull. <laughs> and so that's what, you know, the, like then it's like dealing with Superman and how Lois, you know, like him and Lois are trying to go on a date, but everyone, since he, they know Clark is Superman, they're just like following with a camera now and all that different stuff. And he then hears the ex- explosion. Cause he's like, I don't ever really listen to Metropolis cause that's Batman's territory, but big things catch you know, still catch me. And he goes to Metropolis and it's like a lot of it's just wrecked. And he's like flying around trying to save people. And he finds Batman and, you know, 
Batman's very much Batman, and he's like, took you long enough, basically. And so then the, it just ends with the reveal of who it is, and like who it is is a character who I don't think I've ever actually read in the comics, but I have seen him on Justice League Unlimited, so that's kind of like a little teaser. But it's exciting for me, because like I said, I really like this character in Justice League Unlimited, so should be cool. And then uh, Godzilla, Complete Rulers of the Earth, Volume 1, which first off, I think it's hilarious that this is the Complete Rulers of Earth, Volume 1. <laughs> so it's not really that complete, but <laughs> it is pretty awesome. Like, Matt Frank does... It's Matt Frank and Jeff Zorno on art, and it's also written by Chris Maury and Matt Frank. I didn't know this, but Matt Frank helped with the story, and... So, yeah, it's just like, apparently, I didn't know this either, that it took place after Eric Powell's Godzilla series. So, that was pretty neat, because I did read that whole series. I wasn't the biggest fan of it, but it's just kind of cool that they're keeping up with this continuity. It has, like, all of the monsters in it. Even, like, there's a part where Varen fights um, Rodan, Godzilla fights the American Godzilla from the 1998 Matthew Broderick movie. And there's a funny part when they were like, because the monster, the big monsters attack and they don't know what its name is. And they're like, well, what's its name? And then Godzilla shows up. So then the guy's like, Zilla, you know, like his radio breaks out and just says Zilla. Cause that's what that creep uh, Zilla is called in like the Japanese, in the continuity now. Cause they actually bought the rights to the 98 Toho bought the rights to the God, you know, Godzilla 98. So they call it Zilla. And so, like, that's how it got its name in this, was <laughs> because the radio broke out. And so Godzilla fights Zilla. And it was actually a pretty sweet fight. Destroya shows up in one of his forms. And that was pretty wild. Like, he's at a comic book convention, kill some people. Like, it's just, this is, it's such a crazy comic. It's, like, very Showa-era Godzilla. Where it's like, oh yeah, we have a bunch of scientists doing stuff. We have Godzilla destroying stuff. Like they kind of designed Godzilla to look more like his Heisei era version. But other than that, it's just like the plot, the way stuff is, like the way the people act, the way the monsters are all teaming up, the fact that they're fighting aliens. It's a hundred percent just a Showa movie, but in comic book form. And if you like those, you'll love this. I love this. It's been great so far. That sounds fun, man. Um, and did, oh, did you want to do another one? No, I was about to say, are you ready for some Catwoman 80th anniversary? Uh, I've got. I'm going to talk about Die for just one second, then we can get into that. Oh, dude, I forgot all about that. I That's apologize. Okay. So, Die is uh, by Kieran Gillen and Stephanie Hans. And essentially, in like 1990s Great Britain, six teenagers get together and play a game of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but they all get like trapped inside the game, kind of like Jumanji a little bit. Um, but they're trapped in there for almost 30 years. And then... Um, they just appear back in England and they don't really talk about why. Uh, 
Uh, they just go about their lives, start families, all that good stuff. Well, then a little while later, the the dice of the kid that didn't come back shows up at one of their houses. So they all get together to talk about what they're going to do um, because they haven't they haven't seen their friend in that long. And essentially the die starts glowing and they all get sucked back into the game after all this time as their characters. And essentially their friend is there and he's the dungeon master. And he's like, you know, the game's not finished with you yet. And that's where the story takes off. It is such a cool story. It, it might even be like my favorite comic being put out. Um, certainly my favorite image book being put out, but you can tell Kieran Gillen really likes role-playing games like tabletop RPGs. He has just a lot of the qualities from those games are present in this book and just how the characters talk and whatnot. And then Stephanie Hans is just an incredible artist. Everything's like digitally painted and you know, you can tell she really puts a lot of effort into it. It's just gorgeous. But one of the cool things is I, I really appreciate the classes that he, that like Gillen came up with for the characters in this book. There's like the fool, which is, you know, kind of just a bard type character. But then there's the dictator who can use what's called the voice and make people feel certain emotions, which pairs really well with uh, one of the characters whose class is the grief knight. So anytime he gets like, or like the more sad that he gets, the more powerful he becomes like the sword that he has is fueled by grief. So the dictator, you know, will make him feel really sad with his permission and sometimes without his permission to give him even more power and then there's uh, kind of like a cybernetic uh, matrixy character called the Neo, and then the God Binder, who can talk to these deities and get certain powers from each of them, depending on the deity. And um, yeah, it's just like super unique. And I'm pretty sure that the Kieran Gillen either has or is putting out an actual game like a tabletop game to go along with this. But if you like Dungeons and Dragons or just high fantasy in general and really, really pretty art, I highly suggest Die. Um, you know, the first trade is only $9.99, and that is such, like, and, you know, if you don't like it, you're out 10 bucks, but you are going to like it. It's fantastic. So that is what <laughs> I will say about that. Yeah, you've told me about that book a lot and it does sound super cool yeah like i need i i need to check it out one of these days but one of these days i'm just gonna seen, send it to you, you dude ever, for real that's just so good <laughs> <laughs> well like my main problem right now is if you ever if, if you see my stack of trades that i'm behind on it's it's ridiculous <laughs> so that's that's the main problem right. so now we're going to talk about the Catwoman 80th anniversary. And what do you think of this, man? If I'm completely honest, I didn't care for it. 
at all. Like some of some of the stories were like okay, but some were just like so not interesting that I just found myself like skimming or just skipping entirely. <laughs> yeah, I I feel you. Like I like the Paul Dini story. I thought that one was fun, even though I don't. I'm not a fan of like when the person you know when you're like I wasn't in danger at all. I was just making you think that like that. I'm not a fan of that type of storytelling. Spoiler alert. If you haven't read it yet. Right. But other than that, like I thought that one was, thought it was pretty neat. I thought the, the bad guy was kind of neat and like just a terrible person, but interesting. (laughs) I, I, that one might've been my favorite, which is a shame because it's the first story in the book. But even though, even though it was a little bit hokey, I'm okay with that because yeah. she's taken like pretty seriously nowadays. And sometimes it's nice just to have a fun hokey story like that. Yeah. And then the next story was now you see me and it's got Anno CNT and you're not a big fan of hers, right? Uh, not really her. I thought her green arrow was terrible, but I did like her long shot back in the day. I gotcha. I actually did like this story a little bit. I thought it was, like, I mean, I'll say fine. Like, it wasn't, like, it It was a very much a Catwoman story. I'll, I'll say that. Like, I'm not the biggest Catwoman fan, like I said last week. So I'm not the target audience for this. But it was just like, oh, Catwoman's doing some stuff. And she was just kind of basically playing this guy the whole time. And I thought that one kind of worked, too. Yeah, it was fine. Um I was a huge fan of Robson Roca's art. Yeah. He, he's the one that currently does Aquaman with Kelly Sue, and he is one heck of an artist. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. That art was fantastic. And that's kind of be the only thing I say nice about this next one. Uh, the Helena <laughs> by Tom King and Mikhail, uh, Mikhail Janin. Is that how you say it? Or do you know? I don't. Your guess is as good as mine. Right. I mean, I doubt that's true. But, um, no, like, I'll be honest, though, this dialogue, like, you texted me and you're like, this is laughably bad, but it's not near as bad as his dialogue in his Batman comic. I'll say that. <laughs> Which is really sad, because I thought this was atrocious. Yeah, it <laughs> it wasn't good. I will be honest, though, like, if you could get someone, someone that I like more to write, like, a, a future story with Helena as you know, whatever, like if it's Huntress or if it's Batwoman or whatever in a, like a, you know, Elseworld type story, I'd read that. Cause I think that could be cool as heck. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the idea behind the short story wasn't bad at all. And it, you know, it was probably bound to happen at some point, but you know, I just, I just couldn't stand reading any of it. Yeah. Which sucks because like you said, um, Janin's art is like top notch. Mm-hmm. Every panel is just gorgeous, but good lord, the dialogue. It's <laughs> I mean, like like Casey said, I really did text him while reading it, just telling him how how bad it was. Yeah, you should really check out any of his like he- Batman and heavy catwoman stories, because it's just like every five seconds they'd be like, Bat, yeah, cat, let's get dinner. Yeah. Chicken. Or fries. Both. 
cat, bat, sat on a hat. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible. Yeah, I uh, I flipped through um, one of one of their uh, or of Tom King's issues not that long ago, and. I mean, it was nearly as bad as Bendis with the overlapping dialogue boxes, but it really was just constant bad cat back and yeah. forth. And what bugs me the most about this, so this will be mild spoilers if you don't want to hear it. Like, there, there's a part where they're, like, laying in bed just, like, as Bruce and Selina, and they still call each other bat and cat. Yeah. Like, it was... It was just terrible. Mm-hmm. Like they, I just don't see either. Like nobody's gonna do that in in real life. No, I do that to my girlfriend all the time. She hates it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The, so this next okay. one, um, it it was done by Jeff Parker and Jonathan Case. I thought this one was okay. Like the art was pretty neat. I had never really heard of Jonathan Case before. Um, but Jeff Parker has done a lot of like uh, the Hanna Barbera stuff, I think. Uh, I I could be wrong on that, but anyway, it was more lighthearted and just kind of fun, you know, with the aliens. I thought the color, like the colorist, which I mean, maybe it was Jonathan Case. It again, was, yeah. But, uh, I thought they were pretty spectacular in this. Yeah. Um, the only downside yeah. is like since this is very much like a um, homage to the Batman 66. And I mean, I like Batman 66. Okay. But I'm not a huge Batman 66 fan. And then you add in it being Catwoman of Batman 66. It's like, you're taking two things that I'm not super hot on and you're combining them. This like, that was why that one was rough for me to get through, but I agree a hundred percent Jonathan Case's art was fantastic it was it was i think pretty reminiscent of mike allred's art i think i can see that yeah especially the aliens Mm -hmm. so that that was pretty neat um yeah so then we move on to a cat of nine tails by uh liam sharp who did story art and colors and I thought this one was pretty solid, you know, just the way that he, that they go through different scenarios or whatever. It's just for like, you know, the three pages we get here, I thought were better than some of the other stories we get throughout this book. I agree. But I also think if this was any more pages, it would have been like terrible and gone on way too long. Like it was yeah, for sure. perfect for what it was. You know what I mean? But like it couldn't do more than that. Uh, Little Bird is the next one and it's Mindy Newell on the story and Lee Garbett on the art. This was kind of probably my least favorite. I know I, I talked about not being the biggest fan of the Tom King, but like this one, I, I don't know. It did not catch me at all throughout it. What about you? Same. I, I even kind of skimmed it a second time to see if I missed anything because it didn't make any sense to me in the slightest yeah. the first time reading it. Well, I'm glad we kind of, I think they just kind of wanted, uh, you know, they, well, I don't, I don't really want to spoil it, but it just felt like they wanted to put some stuff in it for the sake of putting stuff in it yeah. and none of it made sense. But, um, 
This next one I enjoyed a, a bit. I bet you really liked it. Uh, it's Born to Kill by Chuck Dixon with Kelly Jones on pencils. And did he ever write Catwom- a Catwoman series that you know of? Uh, I'm pretty sure he wrote an, a chunk of the 90s series. Okay. Yeah, and I'll be honest, like, the story itself I thought was kind of fine, but I loved Kelly Jones's art, and I think that kind of made it for me. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the story itself was, like, it's really bombastic, and it's fun, and it's kind of what you want from this type of thing, especially right after Little Bird. Like, putting that one right after Little Bird is about perfect, because it's, like, Little Bird's kind of slow, and it, you know, like, even if you like it, like, you're not getting a lot of action and a lot of, like, bombastic crazy stuff. You're getting a slow story type thing, and this one... It's just like, yeah, you're just tossed in. She's fighting Clayface. And, you know. Yeah. It was about perfect, in my opinion. It was. Like you said, the story, I mean, it wasn't spectacular, but it was fun. But, yeah, uh, Kelly Jones really knows how to draw, like, monster-type characters. And his first page where you see Clayface in full is just a knockout. Mm -hmm. Like, the shading, the the inks, everything about it was just awesome. And I also love like this the the part when like she's behind the thing and she's like holding the button on the lock, you know, and like Clayface is like beating in and she's like making a face at you know, making a face at him and stuff. It's like that's a little thing that isn't <laughs> necessary, but it works so well, especially with this story, that made me like yeah. it so much more. I agree. Um, yes, next was Conventional Wisdom by Will Pfeiffer and the art by Pia Guerra or Pia Guerra. Um, yeah, this one was one that I couldn't really get through. I, I didn't get it and it bored the heck out of me and I, I just kind of, just kind of skipped through it. (laughs) Yeah. I see, I didn't hate this one. I thought it was interesting. Like I always think this villain is super cool, but all in all, like it is, it's pretty out there and pretty weird, but the villain looked cool. I mean, that was like the one good thing I could say about it. Well, don't you remember this guy from justice league unlimited or might've been just justice league. Yeah, no, I, okay. I definitely do. Okay. And, like, after after I saw him at the end, I, like, kind of went back and skimmed and paid a little bit more attention. But I gotcha. Even so. Yeah, like like I said, it was, it was neat, but, yeah, I kind of agree with you. Like, the main thing behind it that I liked was just the fact that that character was in it because mm-hmm. I think he's awesome. Now, really quick, yeah. I am going to comment on one of the pinups that they have. And on the next page, right after that was the Jay Lee Jun Chung pinup. And I absolutely loved that pinup. I thought it was so cool. Jay Lee's one of my favorite artists. So I'm glad that he got in this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, dang, I, I should have stopped when, when we came across my favorite, which was the, uh, hold on, let me get back to it real quick. The, the 1980s one I thought was just spectacular. I I can't find who did it unless 
it was Tim Sale on both pages. It might have been. I'm trying to get to that page, but, too. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, the costume was great. The coloring was great. I'm, the whole thing looks 1980s, but in a good way. Yeah, I think it must be Brennan Wagner. Just looking at the top, because Tim Sale's on the left. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I didn't look over there to see it. So, yeah, Brennan Wagner. Um, I thought that page looked great. Yeah, and that one is pretty awesome. But anyway, this next one is Addicted to Trouble by Ram V and Fernando Blanco. Uh, what did you think? I couldn't really get into this one too much. It, like, is it just kind of it does kind of scream um, middle of an issue type it you know type story and i don't think that's a good thing because i think this is supposed to be kind of like for the people that are currently reading the comic but i could be wrong but that's the way it seemed yeah no it definitely does because i i think ram b is taking over catwoman for joel jones and i like what i've read of ram b um you know he's he's currently doing justice league dark mm -hmm. and i've read a bit of his story um uh savage shores which is cool but i mean i just didn't have a clue what was going on here so yeah same here i think we might have liked it had had we been reading catwoman but since we haven't this right yeah and then the art of picking a lock by ed brubaker and cameron stewart and i'm gonna say this to start off with though i have a feeling if Darwin Cook was still alive, he would have been doing the art for this, and that kind of makes me sad. But yep, agreed. The I mean, you can't go wrong with Cameron Stewart, and you can't go wrong with Ed Brubaker writing Catwoman. So this was this one was my favorite. It's just her kind of remembering back to a time when she tried to pick a lock, and then she has to pick a lock in this story. You know, like as the one part of the main story. I don't know who the person she saves is. And I don't really care. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really affect me. I because like that's how you know fun and cool Ed Brubaker writes. So I'll tell you who she saves. This is this is a little DC Comics trivia for you. Slam Bradley is who she saves, and he is the first like detective hero from DC comics, like predates Superman even. Oh, wow. When DC comics started, it was about slam Bradley being a detective. Boy, now the mighty have fallen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mostly read this because I'm pretty committed to just celebrating these DC characters and I want to check out these anniversary issues this one has just been my least favorite so far, especially when compared to like the Robin one, which I loved almost entirely. I'm really pumped for the Green Lantern one whenever that one comes out. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Before we get to the next thing, do you want to talk about what works, what comics we're excited about coming up? Oh, yeah. You think I'd have this ready by now and pull up the list beforehand, <laughs> well, so I'll let you go. Well, this time I threw you off because I did it earlier than normal, but um, I'm really pumped for Batman 92. Like, I've James Tynan kind of got me really excited about that book, and then COVID happened, and now I've just been kind of like, oh, I want Deathstroke and Batman to team up, dang it. 
and I've been waiting and waiting, and now it's finally going to happen, so I'm pretty, pretty pumped. Uh, Flash 755, because, you know, I love the Flash, clearly, and I'm going to, instead of saying Justice League Odyssey, which I kind of want to, I'm going to go with Mountainhead. I've been really enjoying this book. I'm a little nervous about this next issue, just because I haven't read in a long time, and the series is, like, it's good. Like, Ryan Lee does the art, and it his art is amazing in it and everything, but it's also weird, and it's like, this is going to be one of those books where I'm going to reread in trades so I can kind of pick up on everything that's going on because, like, it's gruesome and crazy. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped for that one. Right on. Uh, I am excited for Adventure Man number one. That's a new image title written by Matt Fraction. Oh, and I love just about everything he does. So a Matt Fraction image book, I'm on board. So I'm glad um, you told me about that because that's going on the poll. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also going to say Amethyst number three because I've really been digging the first two issues on that. And I like where the story's headed. And... I am going to say Justice League Odyssey, even though we talk about it all the time. It's really good, and like I said, we're still not quite to our regular release schedule, and I'm kind of limited on on the books I'm reading, so I'm going to stick with what I know, and that's JLO. I'm excited for you to get caught up on that, because right now I can't really talk about it, because like, there is some weird stuff going on. If I mention like one of the things, you'll be like, what? And then it kind of ruins everything for you. Right, I know. I I really am trying to get <laughs> caught up. <laughs> and then also, honorable mention, I'm really pumped for Daredevil too. Like, there's some good stuff for me coming out this week, so that's exciting. Yeah. All right, and then I also was going to have, have us try to set up our next battle segment before we kind of go into our finishing thing, if you have any ideas for that yet. Um, I was kind of thinking cosmic characters, even though that could be tricky. Um, but I also kind of want to do magic characters. So I, I wanted, wanted to have a discussion with you about it and see which one you were feeling more. I mean, I like the idea of doing cosmic characters. I think with cosmic characters, we got to put a cap on it. Like we can't be like, Oh, I want the living tribunal. Right. <laughs> I totally agree. But would Galactus be okay? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say no. Okay, so you. I think any anybody Galactus or above should be should be off limits. Okay. What about Thanos? Uh, sure. All right. But I think Dark Side would be a no no. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. See, I, I I thought they would be similar, but I I, mean, I don't really know. It's just, it, it is tricky with these characters. Yeah, I mean, like the big thing with the Dark Side and Thanos comparison, it's like Thanos is a ripoff of Dark Side, but when like you get into that down into the nitty gritty with the Dark Side's, like, you know, his full power, it's not even like Thanos 
not even close. Right. But no, well, fair enough. Because I, I, but I've also been thinking magic too. So I think that one would be pretty neat, but it also might be pretty hard. Well, we'll we're on a roll with cosmic, so we'll say cosmic, and we can work out the details off episode so we don't bore the yeah. <laughs> the audience but uh but i have that to look forward to we'll we'll start coming up with uh with some ideas for cosmic character yeah. showdown we'll do the we'll do another draft and then we'll get all set yeah up. okay and then so with everything going on in the world you know the riots and the protests and the police killings and all that or the you know police killing black people and everything we kind of talked about it where we were just like instead of doing fantastic four i just wanted to, to like just highlight black creators basically and some of the stuff they've done and even talk about like because i mean with one of the people that i'm talking about that you'll, you'll probably have him on your list of people too but he did a lot of stories focused on racism so i just figured we would just talk about that and end on that all right um I wanted to start off and talk about our favorite black characters. And I made a list of six of my favorites. Um, but I'll, I'll defer to you. Who, who are some of your favorite black characters? First one that comes to mind is probably Jon Stewart. I mean, honestly, if you put a, a Green Lantern ring on someone, I'm going to like them. And I really didn't like that character when I first saw him. Because like, when I first saw him, he was on the Justice League cartoon. And... I was like, I wanted Hal Jordan because I was like a crusty, angry nerd at a very young age. And <laughs> but then, like, when I actually read like read him in the comics, I was like, I actually really like this character. Why was I so mad that he wasn't Hal Jordan? He's actually pretty awesome. And <laughs> I'm trying to think because I didn't write down a list of my favorite black characters. So I apologize. Cyborg is another one that I, I've always really liked. Mostly because of the cartoon, though. Like, he's the opposite of Jon Stewart. Like, every time I read Cyborg, I'm always a little disappointed because not much going on personality-wise. But then in the cartoon, he is the most fun. Yeah. And then I'll let you say some more while I keep thinking. Sure. Uh, Jon Stewart was also on my list because he was my first Green Lantern. I I didn't know about Hal Jordan or the others at the time, um, but I always loved that cartoon, and I always thought John was cool in it, and anything of John's that I've read since then, I've liked him in that too. Um, another one is going to... Uh, Cyborg's on the list too, mostly for the same reasons. I love Teen Titans and think he's a great personality. Um, another one is Luke Cage, I mean, you can't talk about black comic book characters and not Luke Cage. He was, like, one of the first really big ones, um, you know, just as far as popularity and whatnot goes. And I'm a huge, huge fan of Power Man and Iron Fist, just, like, as a team. I love their interactions with each other, and he's got cool powers. Um, another big one for me is Static. I used to watch the Static Shock cartoon all the time as a kid and always thought that, like, his electricity powers were cool and how he, like, glided on that disc thing. Um, I'd never really read a lot of his comics because 
I think Milestone was kind of done with when I started reading comics. And then the Static Shock New 52 series had so many problems with the creators and it didn't last very long, but always loved him, the animated version. Um, Blade, I think, is really cool because I like vampire stuff and... You know, whether it's the movies or when he pops up in the comics, he's always super cool and he knows how to kill vampires like the pro that he is. Yeah, Blade is one of those characters that mm -hmm. I don't know anything about him really besides like the little bit of things I've read. But if Blade's in a comic book, you know, at the very least, it's going to be fun. Exactly. That's exactly it. And like one of the one of the coolest costumes ever too. Mm -hmm. I love it. Both of them, like the current one and then like the original. Yeah, the original one was fun too. Um, and then the last one I'd written down was Mister Terrific. He, whether it was in you know the Martian Man under position in the JLU cartoon or the stuff I read of his in the Justice Society comics. He was always level-headed, really smart, and truly all about the fair play that was written on his sleeve. And I always liked that about that character. He He's great. Yeah. And, uh, like, Luke Cage would have to be on my list, too. Like, he, he is one of the coolest characters in the comics. Like, and then, like, there was uh, the, the latest Iron Fist... And or Power Man and Iron Fist comic that came out. I know you weren't super hot on it because they made Iron Fist kind of goofy, but that series was a lot of fun. And then the original series was a lot of fun. It was all in all just a great series, great time. Uh, I had another one that I was thinking in my head, then it just kind of left me, and I'm cranky about it now because it was one that I was like, Jake didn't say this guy, and then it left me. Um, <laughs> so I'll get, I'll hopefully pop back in my brain. But um, some of the creators I had written down, you know, to talk about, like, uh, one of my favorite artists and now current writers is uh, Rob Gilori. I think that's how you say his name, because I've been saying it wrong for forever. And I was, like, re-looking at him, like, I've been saying this wrong for forever. I'm an idiot. And he, you know, helped, he co-created Chu. He's hilarious, and now he's doing Farmhand currently. And he also did a short story in... Uh, Thor annual for Marvel and like I want to read it but CM Punk wrote it if I remember correctly and I'm not interested in reading something CM Punk wrote <laughs> and then uh, Daryl Banks he did the art for Emerald Twilight a Green Lantern story that had Hal Jordan go crazy and he you know when he did that he uh, did the costume for Parallax. Like he designed the costume for Parallax. He co-created Kyle Rayner. So he's basically created two of the coolest Green Lantern costumes ever made. Mm -hmm. And then he also did the costumes for Dr. Polaris, a character named Fatality, who I never read, but I did have this book growing up that was like... Uh, different characters in Green Lanterns, and she was, one, she was like one of the people that I talked about, so that's the only way I know her. But I was like, that's pretty cool. And then he also did the costume for the Dr. Light, but the lady version. Oh, nice. That's a good costume. Yeah. I mean, he, like, as soon as you see Kyle Rayner's name on a costume thing, you're like, oh, wow, this guy did that? 
he's got great taste. He should design more. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next person I want to talk to about was Christopher Priest. When I was doing a little bit of looking up on him, did you know that his original name's Jim Owls- Owlsley? I did not, know. Yeah, that, apparently that was the original name he was writing under, and that's what he wrote under Emerald Dawn. Like, when he wrote Emerald Dawn, that was the name that it was under. And I didn't even know he had anything. I had no idea he wrote that. Yeah, same here. <laughs> and then, like, I read a thing where it said uh, he wrote Black Panther, and people were saying he was the person who made Black Panther cool. And I thought that was kind of neat, like, because Black Panther's one of those characters, like, he should be so easy to make cool because he's got the coolest costume in the world. But mm-hmm. so many times that, like, and by so many, I mean, I think I've, it's been three times that I've read it and they've focused way too much on, like, Wakanda politics for me to be interested. But so I might, yeah. I might have to check out his Black Panther now because that's a character that I want to like so much, but just haven't because mm-hmm. it's just, everything that they're having him do, like they're just having him rule as a king over stuff and I get bored. But uh, he co-created Quantum and Woody, which I've never read, but I've heard a lot about. And he wrote Deathstroke. And what I thought was really funny was when he was asked why he decided to come back into comics after writing, you know, to write Deathstroke. He was like, well, they just offered him and he's not black. So I just went with it. (laughs) I have read that too. That was funny. So funny. I mean, uh, Denny's Cowens is another one I wanted to talk about. He, I know him mostly just as the person that drew the question comics that Denny O'Neill wrote and his art in that is amazing. But I didn't know this. He co-founded Milestone Media in 1993. He was the senior vice president of animation at BET, which had him in charge of cartoons on the show. This included the development and premiere of The Boondocks. And then he also helped work on Static Shock. And then the last creator I want to talk about, and I think he's kind of the most important black creator. I think you know who it's going to be. Dwayne McDuffie. He was <laughs> kind of the head and co-founder, like the head co-founder, co-founder of Milestone. He was also the head of it for a long time. He created Icon, Static, Hardware, and the Blood Syndicate. Uh, he was brought on to write and story edit the whole Static Shock series. And there was one episode that people kept reposting and it was the racism episode. Cause like I never watched static really. Cause again, crusty old nerd. And I didn't know, like I didn't read milestone as a kid. So I just thought it was a fake character that they made up. I'm like, oh, I don't want th- I want, I want some other, you know, other characters that I knew at the time to have their own show. Not this guy that I've never heard of. This is stupid. And so I never watched it, but I guess it got like pretty back to school, like after school, you know, like, message type thing like after school special that's what i'm looking for where like i remember one time they had an episode where a kid couldn't read and like someone brought a gun to school another time and then there was a racism episode did you ever see that episode i did yep yeah and like people were posting that all online now and it's like man i guess more people should watch this show like if like that that that's not too bad actually uh yeah, it was done really well. Yeah, and then uh, he also worked on the Ben 10 Alien Force. He worked on the Teen Titans show uh, also, and like there was an ep- a racism episode of that, too. And I, I have a good feeling after seeing he worked on it that he probably wrote that one. 
he worked on the Justice League cartoon, and I've heard I didn't read when I didn't read it this time, but I've heard in the past that he was actually kind of responsible for bringing on more minority characters to the show, so like they could appeal to a wider audience instead of just white nerds. And then when Justice League Unlimited came around, he was promoted to story editor and producer. And he, like, this is what was kind of wild to me. He wrote, produced, or story edited 69 of the 91 episodes for that series. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so, I mean, it, like, a lot of, a lot of crazy stuff that he did. And it's a shame that he passed away early. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, you covered two of the three that I wrote down. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I have all these neat facts I'm going to read off, and you read off every single one of them. Sorry, buddy. Um, that's all right. So, yeah, obviously, I was going <clears> to <throat> say Dennis Cowan. He did all the question stuff, and then he returned to the question for the current series, The Deaths of Big Sage with Jeff Lemire, uh, which I've been really enjoying. And then... Uh, Jamal Eigel, he, uh, he did art for the Nightwing series in the early 2000s. And it was around that time that I was like, really, really started collecting that series and got into that series. Um, and he, he's just got a great art style and it worked well for the character. And then, yeah, the, my final and biggest one was going to be Dwayne McDuffie. As I've said multiple times on this show and even earlier, Static Shock was huge for me when I was a kid. And I love that he was one of the creators of that show. And then, obviously, he did so much for the Justice League cartoon. And while I didn't really watch Ben 10, I know that it's like has a huge following. Um, so it must be pretty decent. Um, but yeah, just for Justice League and Static Shock alone, you know, he's just done so much for for comics and animation and you know the minorities within those he i don't know just an absolute legend and yeah. it is a shame that he he passed away so soon who knows what what else he would have given us you know yeah i mean at you know i mean at the very least he would be he would have written a heck of a good story that had to deal with police violence <laughs> yeah absolutely so yeah, hopefully uh, we shed some light on maybe some some things you guys didn't know yet, uh, but but definitely check out the work of those creators because it is absolutely worth it and relevant right now. For sure. I mean, at the very least, just so. watch that episode of Static Shock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that pretty much wraps up this episode. So. Uh, again, if you like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash two worlds podcast or on Twitter at two underscore worlds underscore podcast on Instagram at two worlds pod. You can also email us at two worlds podcast at gmail.com. And please like and review us five stars wherever you're listening to this. Now I have to figure out a way to unbrainwash Casey in the future. So we'll catch you next time. Bye guys. Bye.